Thank you, Jim. Our gospel of the lesson this morning continues in the 25th chapter of Matthew. And the translation we've been using, uh, this is kind of an English Bible we're going to discuss in a little bit about some differences in translation, but hear these words. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. He called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave, to one he gave five valuable coins, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who'd received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins, and look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Excellent. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I gained two more. His master replied, Well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. Now the one who'd received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. And I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. His master replied, You evil and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown and that I gather crops where I haven't spread seed? In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has ten coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Now take the worthless servant and throw him outside into the darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh my, on this passage. But let's take a moment, just a moment with the kids. There are many ways to... A couple of different ways to interpret what this passage is talking about to, to see what it means for us in the world today. And we'll talk about a couple of those in, in a minute with, with all the adults and everybody. Which you're... But for now, we're going to look at one of those. And I'm going to reframe this a little bit in terms of basketball. But no stuff, they play basketball, right? Now, I don't know who's any good at basketball. I'm not so good. Probably because I don't practice enough. But we all kind of know how to play. Well, there's a great coach who's going to miss a bunch of practices. So he told three of the players in the team that he'd be gone for a while, and he's leaving them in charge of the practice. To the first player, the point guard, he gave five DVDs with skill drills to practice that would teach the player about ball handling and passing. Those are skills that a good point guard needs. To the second player, he gave two DVDs on defense. Those did not provide as much instruction as the first player, but still would help the player improve. The third player, he gave one DVD on shooting the basketball. 
even one DVD would help the player improve. Well, the first player took the drills that the coach had given him and went to practice and teach his teammates all about dribbling and passing. The second player also took his skills and taught better defense to the team. The third player didn't even watch his DVD. It got buried in his room under his laundry. I know none of us ever lose things under our laundry, right? But anyway, the coach returned to the practice to see where things were, how things were going, and he was, he was really impressed on the team's improvement in dribbling and passing and playing defense. And he told the first two players, well done. Because you were faithful and followed the directions, your skills have improved. You're a better teammate because you've also shared those with others. Well, the co- then the coach asked the third player how, to, how he used the talents of shooting to teach the rest of the team. And the third player said he was afraid the coach would be hard on him because he thought he was a pretty good shooter already. That player, you know, hadn't even watched it, right? And this upset the coach. You could at least give an instruction to one of your teammates. You could have given the DVD to one of your teammates and let them, you know, learn and improve. So he took the DVD and gave it to another player. Moral of this basically is, you know, not everybody has the same gifts and talents. We are good at different things. Some people sing, some people dance, some people play basketball, right? I think God does want us to use what we have. And we may not get paid big money for it, but if we're talking, if we're good at talking and listening even, you know, that's a skill. Don't waste the talent God gives you. Let what each of us is good at be the thing that we can develop into better and better use of that. We can become who God asks us to be. And for each one it's different. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's less. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us each the ability to do so many wonderful things. Help us use our gifts to help others. And give us the ability to see how our gifts affect one another. In Jesus' precious and strong name we Alright, so this passage is one of those that frankly I've always had a little bit of issue with. Anybody else had issues with this passage? So we have this story that begins. Now, the translation we read, because see this 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 whole section in Matthew is talking about the kingdom of God. And the translation that we read and, and several others use use this the kingdom of God for this particular passage. But not all of them do. For example, the New Revised Standard Version starts this passage for it as is for it is as if a man going on a journey doesn't actually say kingdom of god but we know the story don't we i mean how often have we heard this story preached i know i've often preached just this very similar to the way we just talked with the children right do your best with what you have and you'll be rewarded that's the way this normally plays out right but it's possible, as Jesus often does, that there, this story might be trying to portray something different, maybe something more edgy, maybe something a little riskier. But we know the story. Parable of the talents, we call it. This translation used um, valuable coins, but many use the word talent. Talent comes from the Greek talenta, and that was a rather large sum of money, not just a valuable coin. So a talenta is a really big sum of money. So think about a sum of money that is really big. Okay, probably bigger than that is, for, is a talenta. So 
Um, in doing some research, some scholars uh, have come up with the idea to describe it since it doesn't translate into English well at all or today's society at all. A talent, a talenta, is roughly equivalent, they think, to about 15 years of labor. In other words, you work 15 years and don't spend a penny of it. That is a, that's pretty huge, right? So here's this parable, right? The master gives talents, talentas, these huge sums of money to slaves. Now, slaves, not heirs, not, not children, not, right, slaves. Doesn't really give them instructions, just says, here, take care of this. Peace out. I'll see you later. This story is strange already. I mean, when would that ever happen, right? So most of us hardworking folk, we look at the, what happened, we look at the reactions of the man when he returned, and we think, well, this is about working hard. This is about using what we, what we have, right? Don't just sit there like a bump on a log. Get up and produce. The blessed ones are the ones who make more. Those who get more. Those who have more. But then we think, wait a minute. The Beatitude said something different, didn't it? Hmm. Well, maybe this is okay because it's not really talking about money. It's talking about the abilities that God has given us. Paul seems to indicate that later in the letter in Thessalonians that we read, that, that Jim so beautifully read for us, that, you know, use what you have. Not just to make your life better, but to build up the whole body of Christ, right? So work hard. And by doing that, we honor Christ. So get out there and use those gifts. And you know that works for us. We like that kind of story, we like that story of working against that sin of sloth, against that selfishness, you know, that selfishness of the one slave who worried only about his own skin, apparently. This concept of stewardship and taking responsibility and take, being accountable. And I don't know how many times I've preached that. Because in a lot of ways, it matches what we think Jesus is telling us to do. In other words, change the world. We do that by using our talents. And so this makes sense on that level. But yet... When you read this, there's something about this story that has always seen a bit off to me. Anybody else ever bothered by the description of the master when he talks with that one slave? Master, I knew that you reaped where you didn't sow and you harvested where you didn't plant. Wait a minute. Does that match our idea of God? Isn't that always, has that ever bothered anybody reading this passage? It sounds more like a predatory business practice. <laughs> right? I mean, he gives each to their ability in the translations we use. In the Greek, the word is, is dynamin, which is closer to power. So in other words, they are given these talents based upon the power that they could wield in the world in making money. And the instruction to the one is even weirder. You should have put it in the bank. At least would have gotten interest. Well, that makes sense to us, but in the first century world, especially in the Jewish world, collecting interest was illegal. It was called usury. So why would Jesus be promoting this? It makes, it's always been a little struggle and understanding. And it could be because Jesus, as often does, flips things and puts it in a different perspective and tries to push us deeper. And any of you who've been in my Bible studies know I do that. I try and push us deeper in our understanding giving sometimes weird or slightly different translations or interpretations 
to stretch us and to give us a different view. So what if what Jesus is really trying to get at in this and, and is something else? Reverend Dr. Derek Weber, who's the Director of Preaching Ministries of Discipleship Ministries, does have a different question. And part of this is looking at, I mean, what if, what if, instead of the usual looking at this, Jesus wanted us to identify with the one talent. I know, heads just exploded out here, I know. What if Jesus was saying that Jesus was the one talent slave? Weeping and gnashing of teeth is something that's often used to describe the effect of torture and execution. So what if the blessing of the others was blessing of a world that values wealth, and the joy of the master for them was to celebrate the spoils of getting one over on others who don't know any better? And the other translation does start off with, for it as is, for it is as if a man going, not the kingdom of God is like, it's for as if. It's almost like Jesus is saying, this is the way the world works. So what if the honorable route was to choose not to play the game, to not take advantage of the neighbor? I mean, think about the sums of money here. If these are really that big a sum of money, how could you possibly double that without some unscrupulous behavior somewhere along the way? So what, what, what if... The value here, the message here is to not take advantage of the neighbor, to, to bury the possibility of becoming rich so as to not to hurt anyone. Again, it starts with, it was as if. What if the story is not about the kingdom we long for, but the kingdom we've created? Look at the story of Frankenstein's monster, right? Dr. Frankenstein creates this monster to solve some problems and creates many more. The monster takes on a life of its own. And maybe our world has done the same thing. You know, we create the world around us, and maybe it's shaping our dreams and running our lives instead of the other way around. That begins to make some more sense to me. And I honestly, I've never looked at it this way before. But it begins to make some more sense to me the way that the language in this parable is. And it's a struggle to think like this, looking at this, because it's not what we've always been told. It's not what I've always preached. It's not what we've always thought. <clears throat> And working hard for the kingdom is a great goal. It's a great thing. So, so maybe that's where we need to keep our focus. I don't know. It definitely would be easier and simpler. But then again, what does it mean to enter into the joy? Jesus put those words in the mouth of the master. And if the master doesn't represent Jesus, what does that mean? See, I think there's joy, and then there's joy. And we might as well admit that, that there's a difference between joy and joy. And what I mean is there's joy that we experience in the world. There are happy, there's happiness, right? There is contentment in our, in our world. Absolutely. That's joy. Have you ever noticed how in popular culture, Christians are often portrayed as the killjoy? You ever notice that in movies and TV shows, right? The, the Christian character is the one that doesn't want to do anything fun ever. I see some, I see some laughters of recognition here. Yes, these things. So I think there's a difference between happiness and joy. There's the joy we get from the world around us, but then there's this other joy that comes only from our relationship with God. That's what our faith is about, right? It's this joy that we get in our relationship with God, but that isn't believable for others until we begin to live it. When there's no evidence of that joy, it's hard for folks to hear us. See, 
when we really have that joy of Christ in our lives, what happens is it permeates our lives. It leaks out of us. It changes how we interact with the world. When, those, when that happens, our words begin to make more sense and, and have more attraction to those around us. Until then, it doesn't. That's why Christians are seen as the killjoys in the, in the fiction accounts, right? It's because sometimes the actions don't back up that joy. So the joy of Christ is different than the joy that surrounds us. The joy in the world is amassing stuff, the joy of getting ahead, the joy of being number one. The joy in Christ is simplicity, protection, and especially the protection and the love of the ones that seem less valued. See, the message in our faith is that there's no entry fee for the kingdom. Our net worth does not have anything to do with our eternal value. We, we know that from our faith, right? And that's, I think, the proclamation for today. And, and, and why this other look at this parable begins to make some sense. See, our invitation to the people of God is that we are chosen, not for our ability to earn, but because we're loved. And because we're loved, we have an ever-increasing capacity to love in return. That's what expands. That's what grows. That's what multiplies as, as we become better and more faithful disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's why we do that, right? We find ourselves making disciples even as we are ourselves being made disciples. I mean, in this world that we're even in now with division and hatred based upon all these external factors such as race and ethnicity or political party or economic status or whatever, whatever it is that we tend to divide ourselves by, and we do, the proclamation from God is that every person has an inherent worth. That's radical and life-changing. That can change the world. I mean, how different, how different is it when one of the family of God speaks than what we hear in social media and the news and the world around us? There should be something different, right? So today, the call is to enter into the joy, right? This joy of Christ. And that's the call for today. Not a call to shame or to heaviness. It's a call for the possibilities of transformation and growth. Invite each other and the community to more. More love, more joy, more fellowship, more connection. I know that's hard, especially today. But we need to invite others and all into that joy. I would encourage us not to let this parable of the talents become a way of celebrating those who have much. Here's that other translation introduction to this. It was as if this, this is how the world works. Or perhaps, maybe those who have more grace are given more. And those who have no grace have no hope in the kingdom of God. However you interpret this, let it not be a point of division. We have enough of that in the world. I challenge us to go against that cultural understanding that only the wealthy are blessed. You know, that, that adage we hear, the bumper sticker that says, you know, the, those with the most toys win. That's the world speaking. That's not God. I challenge us to commit to pray for those without resources, those nearby or those far off who live hand-to-mouth, one paycheck away from absolute disaster. That might be us. That might be the one sitting next to us in the pew or a couple of pews away, as the case is in our current situation. Maybe one of those people logged in online watching today. Maybe somebody we meet on the street. Maybe somebody we interact with in our lives. 
This parable can serve to remind us that the way we want things to work and feel the most comfortable working are not the way God works sometimes. May our quest for Christian perfection guide us toward living more into God's way and less into our way. As a friend of mine often says in his prayers and in worship, he says, Lord, let there be less of me and more of thee. Maybe there's something more here, but no matter what, let God's love guide us. Let us live into that joy, the joy of knowing Christ the Savior, the joy of believing in God, the Creator, the joy of allowing the the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in our lives. That's true joy. Everything else is noise. Sure, there's some comfort in that noise, but it's not true comfort. I mean, how many successful, rich people would seem to have everything and are looked up to by the world around us are miserable? We see it over and over, don't we? The quest for enough is never enough. That's not joy. If only I had is not joy. God's love, God's grace, that is our true joy. Let us be God's people, better and better. Let there be less of me, more of thee. And let's change the world. Amen.